0: Hello and welcome to the Alternative Podcast. Today we've got Chance on. He's got his own podcast called Innerverse. Um, so we'll leave all the details of that in the description. Um, Chance was looking through your website and we came across the term conspirituality, which it's the first time me and Cam have come across it and we thought it was a really cool term to use. So my first question is, how, do you, how does conspirituality align with you? Oh, wow. Yeah, that is a fun word. I love to play with
1: words, break words down to talk about the alternative word as well at some point. But I'm sure that I didn't coin the phrase conspirituality, probably just one of those things that came around and uh, I grabbed onto it. But simply put, if you were going to honestly, authentically pursue a spiritual path, spiritual development, you're going to run into conspiracy. If you're honest, you're going to have to deal with conspiracy. And on the inverse, the same is true. If you are pursuing conspiratorial information, eventually it's going to lead you to a spiritual path. And if you try to take one of those routes without taking the other, you'll hit dead ends. You'll get, you know, it'll get ugly for you or you'll just be stopped or blocked. So I like that word because it accentuates exactly what both of those paths entail. The more light you bring into your life, the more aware you you become of the darkness through that increase of consciousness and awareness. And the more that you study the the dark forces of the world, the conspiracies, the more likely you are to discover that this is not a material realm, that this is a, that we're in the spirit world right now. There is not a separation between the spirit world and the material world. This is all spirit all the time.
0: Yeah, and that's a, the latter is the route that me and Cameron have taken. Um, so we delved into a bit of conspiracies when we were in our teenage years. Um, I kind of took a step back from it and tried to live a normal life. And then when the pandemic hit, it threw me straight back into the conspiratory, conspirac- conspiracy world. Um, so I started reading up on all the conspiracies, all the news that was out there. It was such a confusing time. Um, so me and Cam were just trying to figure out what the hell is going on. And then on that journey, it's led us down a path where if we're on a spiritual journey now. And yes, yeah, so that's the route we've taken. What's the route you took? Was it, was it conspiracy first or spirituality first?
1: For me, it was spirituality first. Well, it just depends on where you start the story, honestly. I got blocked, I know from personal experience, because around 07, I was a senior in high school, I came across that movie, Zeitgeist, that a lot of your audience might be aware of, and it, you know, ostensibly was about showing you the truth behind the financial system and the scam that is organized religion, but it leaves you in a place of thinking, you know, this is a a hopeless situation unless we turn to communism, (laughs) <laughs> and it also doesn't actually get to the esoteric aspect of you know when it covers the religious part that movie it just talks about how the different solar deities of religions are following the same template and pattern but it leaves you with that as if to say see it's all fake but for me that led me to just go full atheist for a while and it wasn't until and i stopped you know on on all levels, trying to find the truth about things. And when I began opening up to spirituality again is when I had to eventually face conspiracy information too. But it started for me with exploring consciousness, exploring how to raise my level of health so that I could also harness and access more creativity and more of my authentic self. And in the process, you have to get real about... (laughs) You know that there there are spiritual forces driving this world, and not all of them are love and light. And I I fell into, I mean, I say I say fell into. It's just kind of part of the process. But I got into like the whole Gnostic uh, pop culture Gnosticism thing. I call it pop culture Gnosticism because I don't think it's true knowing, but this idea that the world is some kind of prison planet that we're here to be. Harvested for our energy and put into negative states by invisible entities and archons and a demiurge. And so that, you know, that's kind of like a lot of people's final boss level of conspiracy. And they get there and they stop and they go, ah, here it is. This is the ultimate reason for why I can take the posture of a victim and have no matter what. No need to take personal responsibility for how my life is going, because I can always point to the biggest boogeyman imaginable, the Demiurge. And that's why my life is not what I want, as opposed to it being something about yourself. So good. it was good to eventually break out of that mindset as well. I wouldn't say that it put me on too bad of a downward spiral, but I, I like to bring it up and you know wax on about that in whatever venue I can, because... Maybe there's somebody out there listening today that needed permission to reject that type of worldview because they can see how it's not serving them, you know, regardless of, you know, we don't know what's beyond the veil of death, right? We don't know exactly how we got here, what this place is or how it was created, but you have equal, I honestly, I wouldn't even say equal, but you have just as much, if not a lot more reasons to see this place as good if you choose to as to see it as evil and fallen. So that's kind of what led me to where I'm at now, which is doing my best to bring empowerment to people, ideas that open up the imagination portal so they can start to see and vision a better world than they're currently in or a better life than they're currently living. Ultimately, that's what stops people from expanding is being unable to imagine something better. So big part of my mission right here is show people things that they might not have thought of or imagined before that allows them tools or allows them perspective to go up to the next level. And there's always a next level. And there's always one after that. And we can keep on expanding infinitely.
2: Yeah, because um, on the conspiracy side, one thing that a a short glimpse, I'll say is when when the pandemic hit and me and Aaron set up um, the alternative channel, we delved in two feet straight into the conspiracy. Because more and more was being revealed, and there was more and more that seemed like these conspiracies were coming true, and more and more was leading us to have disbelief against all of these people. And the further and further you go down that that rabbit hole, sooner or later, you you go through a sort of nihilism state where you're just like, you know what, like you've just said, you know what, there's nothing I can do, I'm just going to be the victim, it's not my fault, so then Therefore, if they just lay and watch Netflix all day, they don't feel as bad because they're like, well, it's not set up for me. I'm not going to win. Let me just throw all my cards down and, and, and lay down and not move. But it takes a little bit of something, and I guess this is what what you're doing and where it's going to sort of benefit so many people in what you're doing is, it takes a, a trigger moment for someone to be like, well, actually, I need to sort myself out. Like, I come first and foremost. I can't, I can let the people who are doing whatever it is that they're doing continue doing it and just focus on myself, be a bit selfish for a little bit longer just to figure myself out. And then once you sort of pass that hurdle, then all you can really do is help other people around you and, and the benefit you get from that just keeps um multiplying and multiplying and multiplying.
1: Totally. There's what I call the Maasai op is a big a big conspiracy that's been running for thousands of years, which is that selfishness is evil or wrong and that the best individual, your, your biggest hero is the one that lets the crowd destroy them for a self-sacrificial reason that, you know, die for our sins, what have you. And that's exactly what, that's exactly what the whole cooties thing was all about. You know, get your, get your cowpoke in your arm because you're doing it for everybody else. And it's been entrained in most of us for our whole life, whether in Hollywood movies or the religions we are You know, exposed to in our life that the best individual is the one that self sacrifices. But it's so silly because if everybody self sacrifices for everybody else, everybody is sacrificed. (laughs) And if we, you know, understand that enlightened self interest is not selfish in the way that that word is thrown around as a negative, that if everybody had an enlightened self interest, did what was best for themselves, took care of themselves first everybody would be taken care of, you know, and then a few people straggling or having a hard time. The others would be very equipped to show them the way because we're not all half dead from letting ourselves be pummeled by the collective all the time.
2: Mm, Yeah, that's so true. So what are your thoughts around um, organized religion? And I'm asking because a lot of people, I wouldn't say they necessarily go down the conspiracy route, but they just see the world um, in a negative manner and they just turn to organized religion as that tribal instinct sort of um, where you're you're thinking and then that sort of just takes over their life and then they're committed then to Christianity then for the rest of their life. What are your thoughts around that?
1: I have so many thoughts around it. (laughs) You know, it depends on what angle we wanted to explore. I don't think that there's anything wrong with spiritual mythos as it is. But it's definitely dangerous to get pulled into dogmatic systems such as what I just described, You know, this old belief in an external savior that's going to lead you to do the same type of behavior of self-sacrifice or to make you think, as long as I have this belief in this savior, then it doesn't matter what I do and I'll be fine. After I die, the other world will reward me that's again that's a slave mentality because you don't think that you can make your life better here or there's no point to it or you think you can get away with anything you want because you have the right belief system all of that is dangerous the <laughs> origins of organized religion is my one of my favorite topics you know i we t- we covered this really deep in my show but the syncretic approach to looking at the various spiritual mythologies in the world as being actually Branches off the same tree or rehashing of the same thing by a potentially worldwide empire or priest class that is erased from our understanding of history, that there's evidence for it all over. In terms of what good there is in organized religion, I think that there is good and bad. There's good with the bad. There's the possibility of community. But that community is not worth much if they're gonna you know require you to cover your face when you come in, or if they're going to give you untrue or un you know uncompleted, incomplete ways of understanding their own ideologies. What I like about religion is the idea of morality and the idea of a unified, you know, group preference of a certain moral system. I think part of wh- part of what's hurting society so much is letting, is how we've gotten so loose in letting the youth choose their own values. And that sounds like tyrannical at first, especially with all the indoctrination we've received, but there's something very, very slippery that occurs when you let the youth continue to choose their own values and they keep... Picking what's transgressive against the current norm, the slope gets slipperier and slipperier until you have, you know, it's even starting to get here. Like I live in the Midwest in the United States, and it's considered the Bible Belt. It's considered a conservative area, not nearly as crazy and inverted as a lot of the big cities or the areas on the coast. But I'm even starting to see here more and more like teenage boys wearing dresses, you know, (laughs) like as if that's making them more powerful. I mean, on the, on the basic level, there's nothing in and of itself immoral about a certain type of clothing versus another, but it's the, you know, there's some, there is a right way to do things in life. You know, all you got to do is develop a, a skill of any kind and you will learn that there's a right way. There's a wrong way. There's an all right way and there's a there's a best way. And that definitely applies to life. It particularly applies to gender. There's actually only one way to generate life. (laughs) Just that's just how it is. So religion has the potential for unifying people under rules that are helpful to the society and helpful to the collective. The downside of that is following rules for follow, for the rule's sake or because the because I said so the upside is all the things i listed that you might be able to slow down the deterioration of society by guiding young people towards what the older and wiser folks have discerned is actually working and useful in terms of a way to live your life so there yeah, i could just keep going on and on but what you just let me know what you want me to wax on about next
2: well yeah no that's a fucking great um explanation what do you see because obviously or, or, well religion as a whole is sort of on its way um down quite a bit and it's because like you've highlighted there uh, uh, the youth are now able to pick their own values rather than have a book um sort of tell them what their values are which uh, again doesn't as you've highlighted doesn't really work when you allow the youth to choose their own their own values what where, what do you see the future holding something's got to replace religion to sort of organize the mess that those who aren't choosing to follow a religion are now in what what do you see the future holding there
1: have you guys heard of the i think it's like a hopi prophecy about the bifurcation of humanity the splitting of human beings so i'm paraphrasing here but there's something people bring up the hopi native american tribe there was some prophecy amongst them that in the future, humanity would actually diverge into two different societies that were so polar opposite that they were almost a different species. And I do actually see that happening right now. (laughs) What is going to rise up to replace religion? I mean, it might just be a different understanding of the religions. That can be fine. But mostly it's the, you know, there's going to be the, 15 minute city dwellers, the heavily medicated, heavily entertained and distracted wage slave type, you know, that's going to be one society. Then emerging parallel to that, which is happening right now, actually happening really powerfully in the region where I live, will be what you could consider a breakaway society of people who decide that family values and A man supporting his family and his wife nurturing that family and growing your own food, getting independent from systems as much as possible, knowing people nearby where you are, who can cover the gaps in what it is that you have the ability to produce or provide and a resilience in a community that's made of individuals rather than a collective that operates like a hive mind where regardless of what happens to the monetary system, regardless of if the food trucks quit coming into the cities or gas is cut off or another pandemic is declared or whatever, et cetera, et cetera, that there are already people living in such a way that all that could go go away in a snap of a finger and they would be fine and they would just keep on and they would continue to exist in a very healthy way living off their land you know, with their families and their nearby community. I think it's not exactly like a new thing and it's not exactly rocket science to have the idea that maybe I should start growing my own food if they're injecting mRNA vaccines into the supermarket meat (laughs) or the, the whole GMO, you know, glyphosate pesticide complex of toxins that go on with food. It makes the most sense in the world that you would want to need less money because you can produce some of your own stuff but the the awesome thing about right now is that even though the breakaway societies of the world are diverging in a way where they're actually bringing back the old way of living gardening it sounds so old-fashioned to us right now but that you know our grandparents our great-grandparents definitely our great-great-grandparents everybody had a garden Everybody was doing that. Nobody was sending their wife to work, you know, and hiring somebody else to watch the kids for a a daily cost of like one third or one half of what that wife would make in wages anyway. It's crazy. It's so crazy. And it's really up. I think as much as the like conservative minded people of the world like to point the finger at the women and say, Look what you did. Look at feminism. Feminism has caused m- women to quit being mothers, and the children are now out of control because they didn't have a mother there that was guiding them. And it's all your fault. You wanted to be like men. But honestly, it's the men that have been, have really dropped the ball by telling their wife that they need to work so that they can make enough money. You know, that's part of the divine masculine role is to provide and to have trust and faith that they will be able to, that doing the right thing is what will actually lead to the right outcome. <laughs> not doing the right thing because you're told to or not doing the right thing or um, you know, operating from the scarcity mindset or the fear mindset that is constantly ingrained in the, the Babylon system that you're not gonna make it. You're not gonna have enough to pay your mortgage, pay your rent. But there are a lot of people getting out of debt starting families, growing their own food, and those steps alone will eventually lead to a, a very large sector of humanity that is n- has nothing to do with what the rest is currently spiraling down the toilet bowl with.
2: Mm. Yeah. At sort of base value, you can see that's um, the best way. What, uh, so let's say, for example, you've got someone who... Takes all of the uh, check boxes of 15 minutes. He addicted to I don't know, social media and just quick dopamine hits off whatever it is they're watching on TV. What's the best way for them to be? I don't want to say persuaded, but sort of to have their eyes opened or their mind opened to this is actually a bit wrong. What you're doing, this isn't the way people are meant to live. There's a whole other side because I know a lot of people would look at it and think, uh, hold on, I'm making X amount of money in my job. I don't really have to do much. I don't, uh, I've got enough money for childcare, cleaners, got like food just to come to delivered and cooked to my to my home. Why should I let go of all of that for this, for this sort of alternative way of living?
1: So you're using the word alternative, right? But isn't the way of living that we're talking about the native way <laughs> like it it always irks me when the true beautiful or correct way of living is called alternate alternative because the the current system that the mainstream society is under is the altering of the native way it is the alternative <laughs> in a way you know what i'm saying but in terms of how to Persuade—it's like this with any type of truth or or conspiracy information that you might wish people you cared about would wake up to. You can't just give them the answer. Unfortunately, people will reject that. They'll have all these preconceived notions that you just listed, like I'm making so much money, I, I'm I'm I've got this status, whatever it might be. And I think the the most persuasive one can be is to just show what it looks like to live a really great life. And that goes without saying all the things that I've already talked about. There are lots of ways to demonstrate you're having a good life, mainly to just have a great life, <laughs> you know, be healthy, be vibrant, be somebody whose energy is a force when they're in your presence, when others are in your presence. I think that there's a, a, a capacity to us as human beings that, and this is, a, there's science behind this, that we actually emit light out of our bodies. We are luminous beings. And whenever we contain, when we self-contain our own energy in our own battery, in our own body, that puts off a type of light. It might not be like a flashlight, but others that are around us, just by being in the presence of that, that shininess that we're, we're holding, they're going to see themselves more clearly because there's more light mentally. There's more coherence in the field, in the environment that they're, you know, sharing with you. And I think that's the most persuasive we can be it, rather than beating somebody over the head with this is what you're doing wrong and this is what you should do. Instead, just be, be the happiest, healthiest, most aligned with the truth that you can be and people that are ready will want to know how you're doing that or why you're doing that. They'll ask you, they'll let them come to you. And then, on the other side of it, and this is how many of us got to the point where we're at now of questioning, doing our best to improve our health or our life outside of what we've been recommended to do by the mainstream, is that the pain the pain puts us in the necessity of it. the you know the the guy with the six figure salary working at a you know a corporate soulless entity, all of that eventually there will be enough pain that is put on onto that person from the way that they're not aligned with how nature would operate if they were to you know in the way they're living that they either die or they have to do something different they have to start asking questions so it's life is awesome like that the the, the mainstream religions they'll say the wages of sin is death and how that's interpreted is that we are punished for our behavior, but you don't have to look at it in like a a good, bad, you know, sky father giving you a spanking type of way. It's more like you can just consider sin to be any behavior that is not in alignment with how nature, how, how a human being would live in, you know, how nature intended, how God intended, however you want to conceive of that because there are, you know, for example, nature wouldn't intend for you to be irradiated constantly by electromagnetic frequencies. And if you ignore that, and you you know, you know, keep holding the cell phone up to your head for two-hour conversations several times a week, the, the wages of that sin will be potentially something like a brain tumor, right? So there are consequences that emerge out of our behavior, and they're a natural expression of how the behavior is not aligned with what is true or right or good. And that's what brings in the pain factor. But it's also I, why you don't want to look at it like a punishment. You want to look at it more like a, that. It's a guidance system. And when, I, you know, and it's actually, it applies to all levels of pain as a matter of fact, whether it's a big life-threatening illness or you keep finding yourself stubbing your toes there are, there's a message in every injury, there's a message in every type of disease. That's largely what I seek to teach people through, how I talk about the biofield, the human energy field, the anatomy of it, that whatever malady may befall your body, whatever discomfort or disease or injury, is not something that's just going wrong randomly and chaotically. They, every single one of those type of things carries a message from, from your body. To meant to show you how to correct your behavior, how to correct your thinking, how to or what type of emotions need to be processed and released, what type of belief systems are limiting your full total expression of life force and vitality. It's all wrapped up in it's all messaged to us through signals of pain. And again, the mainstream and the the pharma model is suppress, repress, numb it out. You know, cover it up, put a Band-Aid on it, whatever the case may be, take the pill. And that's why people just spiral further and further down into a pit of darkness. And the unfortunate thing about the medical system is that with all of this numbing out that is offered and all of the symptom suppression, it, it makes it harder for people to actually find the core reasons for their illness. And they just start stacking dysfunction. And unfortunately, and it's also fortunate. you know it goes both ways. So, okay, the more life force that you can hold in your body vessel without leaking it, without losing it, the more vitality you can self-contain. the more consciousness that you have, the the wider your field of perception on all levels, it does operate in in reverse, though. So that is why people eventually do just kind of like fizzle out and die in the hospital bed or spiral further and further downward is because the more sick they get and the more in denial they get about the true reasons for their illness. (laughs) And, you know, after, uh, after a few doctor's visits, you do have to be in denial (laughs) that the, the true reason for you getting worse is not your body messing up. It's the things that they're, they're offering to you to take and getting you to do to yourself. Uh, You know, the, it's sad to see people that we care about their consciousness shrink smaller and smaller until they have to leave here. But you know, I think energy is not created or destroyed. They continue to exist in some level. Another ride on the wheel. Everything, everything serves good in the end, and that especially applies to the pain in our life, which may be seen as an evil. But if we get the message, the pain doesn't need to persist. if you go into the pain, put your attention into it, figure out what the, what it's trying to tell you, then there, there you go. There's something seemingly evil or bad that's actually serving your good. And and it all works that way. That's why I'm an eternal optimist that even though evil is present in the world and evident in the world, it all, you know, the, the biggest conspiracy theory, you know, the, the, the last, the last conspiracy theory is that everything's going to be all right. everything is good in the end.
0: So what, what do you think happens once our um, physical bodies die? What, what's your theory on that? That's
1: so a way above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: yeah, you must have some theory or thought about it.
1: Yeah. I think it, it probably is one of those depends on the individual type of situations. Uh i'm I'm totally convinced that some element of us goes on after death, you know, to whether we return to the one one mind, one consciousness that everything um separate is emergent out of. And in a way, like perhaps we're all actually one soul, and there is only one soul in existence, but it's got a bunch of different peep holes into the world as different people, people, peep holes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that could be the case, and I think that people that are in a state of internal schisming and separation when they die, I think some some parts of them that they've cut off, cut off from their wholeness can remain in the physical world as disincarnate entities and energies. It's subjective. I couldn't like go prove it to you with a, a Ghostbusters. Like reader or something. But I so I do this process called biofield tuning. I help people balance their energy field and return stuck life force energy back into circulation. And every once in a while, when I'm doing that, I will encounter an ancestor that is in their energy field or around their energy field that they show up because the ancestor will have a similar core issue or a similar pattern to what the person I'm working with has been suffering from or having a problem with. And I don't. So I, I, it's all theory, right? This high-octane speculation. I don't think that that ancestor spirit is like, you know, if you were to die right now and you were in some bad way, that you would be stuck as a roaming ghost for eternity and fully aware of that. I don't really think so. I think that these... They do like, I think of them as soul fragments that got left behind. It's not like, it's not the whole person. It's like a part of them that doesn't mesh with the the source or the oneness or is afraid to go to it, afraid to rejoin it or mostly. Okay. So it's like a function of denial. Like the person was in a huge amount of denial about this p- pattern or this problem that they had as the, a, a living being. And then. Because they were denying that part of their story or their existence, that part gets left here and latches on to somebody that it has a connection to that has a similar form of denial going on. I really like to say we're only as sick as our secrets. Uh, Heard that one from the comedian Owen Benjamin, going to give him credit. Maybe he heard that from somebody else. I like to give people credit, though, but it's 100% true. In in terms of what causes our body to have dysfunction, it is some kind of repression of our awareness of a particular pattern, belief, or emotion. So that becomes a type of secret we're keeping from ourselves, And that's what really brings in illness and disease. I know I just covered off a lot of stuff, so I'm gonna pause.
0: So when you mention you've um, found ancestral energy, Around people you've worked with, and you believe it's that ancestor has a similar problem or something in denial as the person you've been working with. If that person then accepts what they've been denying for so long, does that energy go away with go go up to the um, the the main consciousness, the one consciousness, or does that stay with the person for the rest of their life and then travel up? With them? So, what I
1: do is I get the client to assist me with offering light and acceptance and love to the fragmented ancestor energy. And so we just resolve it that way. We invite it to return to the oneness, return to source. And depending on the situation, that's easier or more tricky. But eventually you, you can always get it too. But then after that, that doesn't necessarily like cure the client of their issue right away, but it removes a big, a big blinder that they had on about it as a way to think of it. Like, because I, I, I'm sure I'm not the only person that has wondered, you know, in the religions, they call this like grace, the grace of God or providence. But what is it? What what is the magic secret that allows somebody to take personal responsibility, accept the truth and align with it versus stay in denial, reject the truth, be afraid, be in victim consciousness. You know, like to me, that's still kind of a mystery. <laughs> I know we have free will. I'm sure free will is part of that equation, but there is something about that that's odd. Like What is the reason why you can cry and release sadness in a healthy way versus why the thing happens that puts you in grief and you go into denial and you bury it, you know, (laughs) because with that example, you might be able to just be like, tell yourself, I want to cry about this. I want to let my emotions out about this. I want to feel it. But you're still just sitting there feeling nothing. You know what I mean? Like, so what is the mystery behind that? I don't know. I can't say that I know what it is that allows it to happen when it finally happens. But I do think that the the fragmented ancestor spirit that occasionally comes into play in my work with clients has something to do with whatever it is that's slowing it down or weighing it down, or like you know, keeping things in the dark and in denial. I think that's part of it. And so whenever we remove that issue or heal that ancestors, uh, fragmentation and send them back to the, the source, then the, the whole situation that we're working with for the client and their individual life becomes illuminated in a way we can understand it better. They can see it better. You know, it's kind of like sometimes to understand a concept, explaining the concept isn't enough. You need a allegory. Like, see, here's a story that tells you the same theme, but it's a different story. Do you get it now? And so it, it works like that, too. It's like we get to show the pattern from a new angle, a new version of it. Whenever we go over what the ancestors problem was, and then that helps them see how that pattern has been going on for them. And then they get the They get a heightened ability to exercise their free will about something that maybe they thought was just who they are or a part of their personality or just how life is. And that's what really matters is getting behind the conditioning so that you can exercise free will and, and have a choice again. And that's especially tricky for people that are really locked into thinking, this is how I am or this is what life is like. But there's always free will underneath all of that type of stuff.
2: Does it also include... um for example, you, we all been brought up to watch Hollywood movies, TV shows, which show you certain things. Uh, For example, you see a lot of death, you see a lot of murder on entertainment. Uh, For some wild reason, it's become like a norm. Um, And then if you were to go in the street and see that same thing, you wouldn't be as upset because you're like, well, well, yeah, that's I've seen it a million times before. How can one separate themselves from something they've watched for the last 15 years of their life? if they ever come into that situation in real life, they'll just be disengaged from it completely. They'll be like, I'm not not bothered about that at all. I'm asking that because of what you've said there, there are certain situations that I've been in where I'm like, I'm supposed to feel some emotion here, but that emotion's not kicking through. And I can't help but think I've been, manipulated not to have that emotion because i'm because of what i've been watching on tv or what i've been listening to in music
0: ah
1: tough question the there's you know it's a two-edged sword with media and like in some ways i actually have a positive perspective on on it at, with the negative <laughs> getting in balance right so yeah maybe it's true that seeing all the violence in tv would desensitize you. Um, I know for a fact that the way that relationships are portrayed in, in movies and TV and in music has a huge effect on what people think is normal or what they think they should experience in, um, you know, it's not really something I've ever come across when I've been working with people's energy field though. I think for the most part, we are still largely able to separate fact from fiction And that people's where stuck energy comes into play for their, their aura is more around personal experiences, but the it is, I think true that the way that the world is portrayed in media as Baudrillard calls it, the hyper reality, it allows for it to be easier to take on a certain kind of belief, like that you're owed something or that you're, you're, partner should be a certain way or even expecting to be in conflict all the time, that kind of stuff. On the upside, though, I think there's something interesting going on with modern media that when we are taking in on these stories all the time and experiencing in a vicarious way stuff that we would not be able to experience in our life, Especially fantasy type experiences, there are possibly like karmic lessons that can come through that vicarious experience that we take through the screen, that might allow us to have a, actually a positive resolution on certain beliefs. We've so I think it goes both ways because you know we've all had a a story that we experienced through a screen hit in a certain way where we're like we feel we feel more optimistic about life or, or about who we are or there's appreciation and gratitude that comes in or there's something uplifting about it so i don't think it's all bad uh, i think even even stuff that's made with a negative intention on the producer level because the nature of mass media requires a lot of creative people putting their skills together to make something that when that when the imagination is exercised in such a, a huge way by so many people together, stuff is gonna sneak through that came from the divine realm that they didn't even know they're putting in there. And it's gonna resonate with somebody exactly when and how it needs to for them to have a something positive about it. So hopefully that answers the question, but I think there's good and bad to it, honestly. Uh,
2: I like the fact that you weigh up both, but you lean more towards the positives in on those things. Very reassuring to listen to <laughs> for sure um, so going off what you've just sort of mentioned on create creativity, what sort of um how important is creativity in someone's life for their spiritual journey? How helpful can creativity be to help you on your path?
1: It's the top most important thing because first of all, if you want to align yourself with the creator of all or with source or with God or however you like to consider that, whatever the origin is, then you got to start being a little more original if you want to be aligned with the origin of all. And I think that's what's missing from mainstream religion is that creativity is not part of religious experiences for people (laughs) when in fact, I think that the only true authentic spiritual path is to create because that's how you start to learn and understand what the archetype of the creator actually is. uh, For me personally, my life felt very empty, shallow, and devoid of meaning until I started making art in my twenties. I had a huge like hole inside myself. And I finally, it clicked that that's because I'm just consuming, (laughs) not creating. You know, that was a long time ago now. And I started with big pieces of paper and Sharpies and making very unskilled and not very beautiful, you know, attempts at drawing and and making things. And uh, that that branched off into a lot of different type of, of skills and creative pursuits that I just did for the sake of it for a while. But what's cool about that is your exploring of skills that are just fun or interesting to you will converge into giving you a skill set that makes you unique and sets you apart, gives you an opportunity in the world to bring all those together to offer something different. And one of the reasons why I say all the time that creativity is the most important element of a spiritual path is if you are actually, if you're for sure dedicated to improving your skill at some creative pursuit, if you are seeking to be able to more clearly manifest an idea into a body, create a body for an idea with without losing things in the trans translation, it will eventually necessitate you getting healthier. There is a wall, <laughs> you know, some people, some people try to high jump over that wall with substances and and you know temporary fixes but it doesn't carry you all the way you know maybe you don't have the energy to sit and paint for the time that you think you need to put in to complete a project or whatever so you start taking stimulants and or some kind of abusing some kind of drug and it might it might get you there temporarily it might simulate what you need but it's not going to you know it's going to affect the art in a way, you know, it's not going to translate perfectly crystal clear from the idea into the form. If your consciousness is thrown off by whatever it is you're trying to use to compensate for the deficiencies you've got. So that's, I think a a big takeaway for people is that getting into, even if it's just like on a hobby level for fun, start making something. And start trying to get better at it. It's like an old adage that if you can master one thing, then you will understand mastery in all things. Because there is a order of operations. There's a math or a divine harmony, a ma'at to creation. That's evident in the zodiac, in the cycle of the seasons, in the cycle of gestation to birth to Infancy to childhood to you know and on down the line. There <laughs> and this goes back to what we were saying at the beginning. There actually is a right way to do stuff. There's a right way to live. Uh, the great thing about the right way to live is that it's basically complete and total freedom, except just don't do the stuff that is anti-life. <laughs> so, you know, that's how you can understand what is a right, what you have the right to do is like anything that isn't wrong. So that actually that's how truth operates. Truth is is beyond our ability to describe it's huge and that ag- that applies to right what is right and so you can only comprehend it by what it is not so you just eliminate the things that are not truth that are not good and then everything else must be good and true which is most things that's why the good far outweighs the bad in in life so yeah if you if you're pursuing a, a creative skill and you want to actually get better at it You're going to have to get healthier at a certain point to translate your ideas uh, more clearly. That's just part of it. And then that applies to the the sweet spot in life is when you're making it up as you go along. That's what the flow state is. And now that really applies to energy work, like energy healing. It's a, a, a hurdle that some people have trouble getting over where they think I need to be certified, I need training, I need whatever the modality is, I need it to be laid out in a step by step process exactly what to do. And otherwise, I'm going to feel like I don't know what I'm doing, I'm going to feel like I'm fake, or I'm faking it or I'm, you know, phony. But eventually, you know, like whether it's somebody who's learning to paint from uh, being taught, and then eventually has to just take it up on their own without a teacher, or it's an person involved in energy medicine who eventually has to start figuring things out on their own because some no one can teach them past the point where they're at there comes a time in whatever path you're pursuing where you have to start making it up as you go and rather than feeling like you're somehow deficient because or like you're you're fake because you're making things up <laughs> Know that the imagination is not like, it's not, a, it's not something fake. It's the ground of, of everything else. Imagination is not a form of thinking. All thinking is a form of imagining. Imagination is the source. So, whenever you get to this flow state of making it up as you go, that's actually what that's the closest feeling you can get to being with the creator or being tapped into source. While you're having a physical experience in a physical body, that's my that's my take on it. it was, all that is why I think creativity is the most important foundation to authentic spiritual growth and development. And without it, it's stagnant. Without it, it's external rather than internal. And we want the internal experience of God or of Source of ourself. Again, the main problem with the External religions, or with the, uh, the the mainstream religions, is that the the external savior narrative takes the responsibility outside of from inside you and puts it outside you. I think that it's great to have the mythoses that show you what a enlightened being would act like, but eventually you have to drop the external idea of a savior and start doing the right thing because your conscience tells you, and it's always been there all along. You know that's the alchemical process of removing the, the solvent or the mercurial agent after you've used it to bring together the salt and sulfur that allows you to have the philosopher's stone. To have the philosopher's stone, you have to actually remove the mercury. The mercury is equivalent to the, the external savior. I mean, in some cases, that, that deity is actually called mercury. <laughs> Jesus is mercury. It's, uh, it's all an alchemical thing. So, you know, the, there is a step in the process of, of alchemizing, you know, of, of the marriage of your, your two sides, of your masculine and your feminine, your salt and your sulfur, that, that an external savior or a mercurial agent is helpful in that process. But most people get stuck there and they are still, you know, the, the tincture that they've made still has the alcohol in it. <laughs> and that's not the philosopher's stone you need to i mean i say need but like the next step in the process is to extract the extract the external savior crucify it from the final product remove it and then you have the actual stone the philosopher's stone the in and that's when the the savior becomes invisible it's internal and that's where it always was all along
2: wow that's such a great way that you've just <laughs> explained all of that I um, that was, it kind of blow my mind a little bit. Yeah, you articulated it like perfect. Well, what, one thing I'll say about the creativity side of it is I've always resonated with creativity and I've always thought there's so much in creativity that empowers someone, yet I didn't really know how to explain how, not even close to how uh, you manage there so, so beautifully. But it, it makes sense that Uh, the system that everyone works from puts in all of these barriers, all of these buckets to say, if you want to be creative, this is how you need to do it. But that's actually taking you away from original creativity. That's that's basically what you're saying. And that's something that didn't really click in my mind that everyone's creative and it's just a matter of putting your mind down on a piece of paper, whether it be writing words or whether it be drawing pictures or, or anything. And yeah, that's something that's definitely going to stick with
1: me so. Thanks for explaining that. Oh, well, and the, the you said it, everyone's creative. The first form of creativity that we're exercising all the time is creating the conditions of our life from the the palette of our belief system. <laughs> that's that's very real. And that's something I love to help people see in biofield tuning with my clients is showing them how, look, here's a repeating pattern in your life. It's showing up in your field. You might have thought these situations or experiences were separate and not related. But look, the feeling underlying it and the belief that is related to it is actually there in each version of experience, even though they seem like different experiences. So that helps them see like, oh, wow, believing that is actually bringing about the experiences that validate that belief. So that's a form of creativity too. I think that's why on the, the Oracle at Delphi in ancient Greece, there's these famous inscriptions. And the one that everyone knows is know thyself, know thyself and you'll know the universe and the gods or something like that. But the one that's not as often cited is certainty brings ruin. <laughs> so, that's uh you know that's another aspect of the mercury or the the savior is the liminal space between one side and another side and that's also what balance requires balance is the point that the seesaw is balanced on or the the middle point of the scale or whatever the case may be so I'm not saying that there aren't things in life that are okay to be certain about, (laughs) you know, that's where that would actually, those things would fall into the realm of like capital T truth and capital T truth is whatever is self-evident and whatever is self-evident requires no certainty to, for it to continue to be the truth. But in the areas of life where things are not self-evident, we got to be wary of holding certainty. Because that, in in a way, that's going to limit our ability to perceive something that is self evident, because it's now getting filtered through this belief that we have certainty about, which is, you know, then a, a stumbling block for our ability to move forward in life or to to see what's there.
0: When you, when you mentioned earlier about making up as you go along, that's something that's really resonated with me in the sense, as of 2021, I quit my corporate job and I didn't have any other job to go to. And it was sort of the most freeing thing I did because it's being on that journey. It sort of taught me that things, if, when I was in the corporate world, I was so set on getting a promotion, so focused on that, I missed all the other opportunities around me. And what it's taught me is now I can just be open to any opportunity that comes my way because I work, I work I'm self employed now, so I just work freelance and I'm flexible. I can just do whatever I want to do. And it's opened my eyes to all these opportunities that could potentially come my way. And whenever somebody asks me, oh, like, what, what's your plan? Where do you want to go next? I'm like, I don't know just wherever it takes me I'll figure it out when it comes to it when the opportunity comes my way and it feels so free I feel so free because of it
1: I just want to say congrats man okay <laughs> yeah that uh you that fence that you may have been straddling for a while with that job jumping off of that fence and into the you know the green world rather than the paved world side a lot of a lot of us have struggled on that fence, straddling it for a long time. I myself straddled it for a long time. But what you just said it better than anybody ever could or needs to is that when you finally take the leap of faith, that's when the unseen forces that which you don't know or have any expectation for can start to come in and guide your path or be the wind in your wings, however you want to consider it. That. The opportunities will show up, but you have to take the oppor- the first opportunity before the next one can show up. Or, you know, maybe there'll be a few at a time. But my point being, you're not seeing all of the possibilities when you're locked into the I have to do it this way or I won't make it of the job that you don't like you didn't like or that didn't, you know, resonate with who you truly were. So congrats on that, man. That's you're in you you're doing it. You're living the You're living the free life that a lot of people are listening to conversations like this because they want to get there and they're trying to find the secret. (laughs) The secret is, the secret is you got to be ready to make it up as you go. And, you know, that's part of overcoming the fear is no safety net necessarily. And not a (laughs) metaphor I use all the time is for like where you're at in life. You might have an idea and a vision of what you want your life to be, but do you know, like you might have an idea or a vision of what you want to paint on a canvas, but do you know every brushstroke in the order that you're going to make them to get you from just starting to completing a 40 hour painting? No, (laughs) you don't. You just know the couple of next steps in front of you and, and maybe a general vision of, of what you hope it will turn into. And that's, Okay. (laughs) That's the the difference between the person who is creative and thinks that they're not creative is that the creative person just picks something and goes with it and keeps going. And the person that believes they're not creative, they get stuck on the decision-making part and they say, I don't know what to do. Well, if you're in the phase of, I don't know what to do, just start doing stuff. Just start picking something. What is most fun or interesting? And then that will lead you somewhere, but don't get there, you can't don't get frozen because <laughs> there's no stasis in nature. There's just there's just life and blooming or death and rotting and deteriorating. You're never actually sitting still. There, there's no there's no stasis. Nature doesn't allow for that.
2: Mm. And I guess for what Aaron's next step was because obviously he did that leap over uh, out of corporate uh, at the start of this year. We both decided to stop drinking alcohol. And one thing that I've noticed with Aaron, and obviously with myself as well, is well, when I first went to the quit alcohol, I had massive sort of FOMO, fear of not being around the jokes of the party and all that sort of stuff. But the three months into quitting, and I've seen it with Aaron as well, is we're both totally different people. We're both alive in a completely different way in the way we thought alcohol was making us feel alive.
1: Yeah, just a week ago, there was this festival near where I live called the Bertaria National Festival. And that's a long story. Why is it bears, Bertaria? But (laughs) essentially, a community arose around the comedian Owen Benjamin. He was potentially the most canceled and banned person on the internet. (laughs) Was a Hollywood comedian who started saying things like don't give hormone blockers to children. Don't encourage children to change their gender, et cetera. And then that, you know, boom, the ax for him. And that was, you know, before it started to catch on, people got wise to it and more of us started saying things like that. He was kind of leading the charge. And uh, eventually, you know, because he, he had a big following being a, a Hollywood comedian, he was able to, crowdsource crowdfund the resources to do things like create a social media app that would be for the the homesteading type the family oriented type the people that just want to communicate things that are good and true and beautiful and rather than sharing all the doom porn and the you know the the negative stuff that unfortunately even people that consider you know that would consider themselves truthers pedal a lot of despair oriented content honestly i think much of the information that gets shared around conspiracy podcasts and conspiracy oriented people is given to them by the machine. Here's, here's your next dose of despair. Here's your next reason why you can't do better in your life. Cause here's the next thing to blame it on, or here's the next thing to obsess over to distract you from what you could do to actually improve your life. So I really love uh, Owen. His, his comedy is great. A lot of people maybe couldn't, can't stomach uh, the type of humor he does, but that's fine because it makes him like a bouncer that prevents the easily offended types from coming into this larger community that has uh, emerged out of that app. And it, you know now they're able to do festivals. They crowdfunded land. And we had this festival last weekend. I don't know how many people were there. I'm just going to guess maybe like 1200 something like that and nobody drinking nobody on drugs everybody having a great time including some people who do occasionally drink who were marveling about like i i thought this was going to be boring i thought i thought this would suck because it's not serving alcohol but i just feel really good i feel really good what is this And I can remember what happened last night. You know, all of that. That was uh, even, you know, Owen joked about that when he did a stand-up at the festival. So my point being, it's just part of the inverted world that gets us to think, um, I can only have fun if I poison myself. I can only be healthy if I poison myself. (laughs) I'm only seeking the truth if I spread poisonous information. I say poisonous because of the despair attached to it. And that's like the danger of conspiracy is the, as they call it, the black pill, the despair. And it doesn't mean that there aren't wrongs being done in the world, but in in terms of social media and sharing that type of stuff, you know, do you ever find it ironic that it's the so-called conservative side of things that are most quick to share, like, uh, trans-related messages or things that look at the left is doing. Look at the left is doing, but they're prom- it's basically like free promotion, <laughs> you know. Like the uh the joke is the Hunter Biden laptop, you know, and all the gratuitous pornographic stuff that was apparently on that laptop. You have a bunch of like a, 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 ostensibly right wing or conservative people or religious people sharing this around, literally like sharing porn on, on Twitter with each other and saying, look what they're doing, look what they're doing. They're disgusting. But like, you now just made someone else look at that. (laughs) Like, did that really help anybody? You know, like the people that are following you or that would even like engage with what you're posting, they probably are also already aware that at the top levels of society and government, it is run by satanic, pedophilic, death-obsessed freak shows, you know? And it is, it's good to know that I ultimately, it's good to be aware of that, I suppose. But you could also just chalk it up to the whole absolute power corrupts absolutely and move on with your life and start doing something productive. I don't think that it helps to peddle the the despair or the disgusting to, you know, to our echo chambers. That's why I really prefer to focus on solutions oriented and uplifting stuff because, You know, I will talk about things that are conspiratorial sometimes, especially more likely to talk about it if there's something synchromistic about it that we can point out. If there's something that hints at a spiritual reality behind the physical reality that we're describing, then I think there's something good in that. And I'm not bashing people who just like to focus on the nuts and bolts, geopolitics and conspiracy. It's all good. But, you know, just think about what you're sharing, who might see it. Is there anything about it that is necessary for them to know, or is it just something gross or, or depressing? (laughs) And because I think we're doing the, the, the beast's job for it whenever we share the despair. Yeah.
2: I think that's something definitely on our journey, which we, because obviously, we, we set up our channel, it was just me and Aaron talking about life, I guess. And then um, really quickly, we started because obviously, it was the pandemic and, and, and all of that, we were really quick to just jump on all of these uh, negative things that were going on in the world. and it, and it, And it was just left against right, left against right, left against right, left against right, all the way down. And then, most been the conversation we had with someone with like me and it just flipped a switch and was like, oh, we are part of the problem. <laughs> and then that's what I guess opened us up for spirituality because it was like, all of this is happening and everyone's just a cog in the wheel. How do you escape this Like nonsense, basically? How do you unplug yourself from this? And it is finding yourself and it is becoming yeah. more selfish. These thing.
0: conversations are so much more fulfilling than having just discussing conspiracies in geopolitics, and it's the same. It's a different news story, but it's the same thing over and over. Corruption, 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 and it just it doesn't solve anything, and it doesn't help anyone. It just spreads their message even further. Whereas these conversations are conversations not many people are having and need to be heard more than what's going on in the news. At least you know
1: it's okay to have the curiosity in the conspiratorial and geopolitical, right? But at least just try to mix it with something uplifting. <laughs> you know, at least at least seek to balance it. You know, at least to be equally uplifting, positive, inspiring with the with the conspiratorial and dark. That's fine. You know, I mean, there is a type of bypassing that you can do where you just put your head in the sand and ignore what is corrupt or corruption. And that can be a pitfall all of its own. So to <laughs> You play devil's advocate. I don't want anybody to uh quit their day job if they have like a, a conspiracy podcast just
2: maybe, you know,
1: also talk about gardening.
2: <laughs> it's uh finding a balance though, right? It's um it, because I I do I do enjoy looking at the corruption of, of the world because it's in the world that we live in, but I don't want to dedicate not even 80% of my time to it.
1: I need- uh, yeah, I mean, who 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 can resist staring out the window and driving more slowly past a car wreck? It's kind of hard to hard not to do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: wait, good point. Good <laughs> point.
0: So, um, just staying on the uh, conspiracy topic, we spoke. You spoke about energies. Um, what do you think these UAPs and potential alien beings are? Do you think? From a different dimension, or what's your views on it? Or do you think it's the smoke and mirrors from the government?
1: And a lot of I'm a I'm a stickler for words have meaning, so I don't think that uh, there's such a thing as other dimensions because the word dimension is just a reference to a measurement of scale, and the dimensions we live in. When people say three dimensions, height, width, length. They're all connected to each other and if that makes sense, they're part of they're all an aspect of the the physical object that is in front of you that you're measuring. so there are there are only other dimensions beyond those three conceptually in the abstract algebra and math that f- physicists purvey as being some kind of science. <laughs> and that so like what i'm what i'm saying is like most of what is called science is actually just mathematical models and simulations with no basis in reality especially astrophysics i don't know where you guys uh, fall on on this particular conspiracy but i've ne- i've yet to see any evidence that i live on a spinning ball flying through an infinite void there's actually a lot of evidence to the contrary I can't tell you I know what the realm that we exist on is, but like at this point to me, it's like we were playing opposite day in school and everything that they taught us was actually the opposite of true. (laughs) So um, with that being said, why I bring that up is because with the, the craft people see in the sky, that phenomenon seems to go back really far, really, really far, not just to recent times. There's, the similarities between abduction experiences people have that mirror the fairy folklore of say Ireland or other parts of the world that have a similar type of of folklore. So it would be silly for me to wave my hands and and dismiss it all and say, it's nothing. There's something going on. I mean, I myself have seen UFOs uh, or UAPs, I guess is the new word for that. (laughs) Like one time, one time, me and two other people, we were sober at the time, we are camping, and it was on the day of a, a total solar eclipse. And that's why we were camping. We are in a region where we'd be able to see the total eclipse in 2017. And from a few feet away, we're, we're sitting in our, lawn, in our lawn chairs, and from behind my vehicle, a beach ball-sized glowing white orb just rose up from behind my car. And we're all like, whoa, look at that. And then a couple others rose up and they all flew around and then they merged into one and then they split apart again. And then the, like 30 seconds later, they just zipped away and flew off behind the tree line out of sight. I have no idea what that was. <laughs> no clue. Uh, but there's there are a lot of interesting theories out there. I really like Dr. Gregory Little. He has a, a recent book that cover with uh, Andrew Collins where they cover... A lot of subjects, but one of the things that was fascinating about it, and I had him on my show last year, I believe, to talk about was the possibility that some of what people are encountering in terms of unidentified objects in the sky might be plasma life forms, plasma based life forms. And I think that could possibly, exp- you know, uh, describe, wouldn't say explain, <laughs> it's not like we understand it, but we, that could describe what I saw in the experience I just recounted. There's uh, an effect. You guys familiar with the piezoelectric effect? Okay, so this is a piece of quartz right here. Quartz is silica. It's used in all kinds of electronics. It has an information storing capacity. It has an electricity conductive capacity. And maybe most interesting is the piezoelectric effect that occurs. That refers to Squeezing, when you put pressure on something like a crystal form, it actually generates an electric charge. So as I'm squeezing this quartz, I'm actually generating a low voltage electricity in my hand. So that right there takes a little bit out of the the woo-woo out of the hippies that are always, you know, have crystals around I I happen to use crystals quite extensively in my work as with energy healing, and I just have them all over because they bring beauty to the environment. So that alone is a good enough reason, but there's actually an, an electricity to them. And there's something you can do that's very bizarre, where if you fill up a bathtub with uh, with water and then have some quartz crystals in the water you turn off the lights in the bathtub and you start scratching like two crystals together under the water it will actually light up the whole bathtub and the light that illuminates the tub will light up the room like a lamp which <laughs> i know is crazy it's just silica it's just quartz right so what that it what that infers is that it may there okay i got to explain a little more now So as I've been talking about the energy capacity for your body, that the more energy you can hold without losing it, the higher level of consciousness that you are able to experience, the the wider your perception of reality becomes. My, My take on that is that energy is synonymous with consciousness. That like water, when energy goes into a container, the consciousness of that energy holds the shape of its container. So that's in a nutshell, right? We'll just leave that at that. But if you have, and we do have this, especially where I live, if there, if one of the main minerals under the crust of the earth is quartz, and it is, but it's especially where I'm at in my region, it's everywhere. There's tons of it. And then you have the pressure, the weight of everything on In the land and and above ground, pressing down on the crust of the earth, pressing onto these crystals that are in the earth, that means that there's an electric charge being generated, a piezoelectric charge, by the very layering of the way the ground is. And so if that's the case, maybe there are seismic events, or maybe just there's like a static... Continual electricity effect that's going on, that is generating a type of energy field that could possibly manifest in if it, you know, retained that energy with some consistency, that pressure was consistent, that would actually form in the sky above us, just like the light in the bathtub front effect, because what is the atmosphere well it it may not you may not think about it this way but it's actually water it's not just oxygen we're underwater right now it's just less dense water so <laughs> hopefully people realize there's there's a lot more to what i'm saying than what i've managed to explain in this short explanation but that there could be one of the one of the things people are seeing in the sky i wouldn't rule out that there's also types of craft that we don't understand or maybe even other types of intelligent organisms that cohabitate this realm with us that we just are unable to perceive or they avoid us. All of that is possible. But I think some degree of what people see, and maybe what I saw that day when I was camping during the eclipse, could be a type of energetic intelligence that is generated by this piezoelectric effect of the ground and the crystal underground and the water in the atmosphere, all kind of working together to create a consistent energetic pattern that thus experiences itself as a type of intelligence or consciousness with some type of agency in the world. Uh, Is that all making sense?
2: Yeah, it makes me think of um, obviously ancient times, and I don't know um, where you're Knowledge is that with with ancient civilizations but it's a huge fascination of mine well that's great because um I don't know how to explain this. well let's just say for example the, the the pyramids were were built um which are super heavy which would be putting some sort of pressure on the earth but then there's a lot of uh there's a there's a lot in what you're saying that could benefit some of the some of the answers to how they managed to use energy back in the past. Um, I don't really know what I'm asking, but I'm just putting up, putting a point out there and seeing if you've got an opinion.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, what I'm describing, I think probably does have something to do with the purpose behind something like the pyramids or the method that it was built for sure. Uh, that I mean that's an eternal mystery at where we are at right now in life, but that it's uh it's a great thing. Like I, I almost think that the whoever built the pyramids, in a way like they're indestructible, man. Like our current level of technology cannot deal with them. They just they're just gonna be there. They are there forever, essentially. So whoever was able to build that, it's almost like they were wanting to make sure that there was always a an indication for humanity that there's more than just bestial existence or slave existence, that there's something possible beyond that. Look at this. Here's the proof. You know, pyramids are amazing. Um, astrotheologically, I like the idea that they're lined with the, the belt of Orion. I think that's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that there's probably an energetic component to the pyramids. That seems very likely to me. Like a it was generating some type of energy or um, symbolic of some type of energy and holding it in the realm. That I think all that is pretty likely. I mean, you know, the underground below the pyramids is huge. That there's like an entire underground city below there that people have not really mapped out or explored. There's no photos of it. It's like off limits. <laughs> Why would that be? That's a huge rabbit hole. is to start looking into all of the underground structures in the world, and that, you know, that opens your eyes to some major possibilities. Were they always underground? Were they built underground intentionally? Were they buried by some type of event? You know, I, I'm of the opinion. I say opinion, but I. That's not exactly what it is, but I, I like to consider the possibility that the Earth grows, and especially if we're thinking outside of the ball in terms of what the realm could be that. So I have this device over here. Let me pull it over here. This thing, it's called uh, Aquacure. So what it does is it's this electrolysis machine that generates hydrogen into and bubbles it into this water right here then that hydrogen comes out the tubes of this cannula. As a gas, you can breathe it. Hydrogen is a hugely beneficial building block. It's the number one building block nutritionally for your body. So there's a lot of benefits to inhaling the hydrogen, or you can drink the water that's had hydrogen bubbles added to it, hydrogenated water. But because of the electrolysis process that is used to generate it, it makes that hydrogen more electrically available. And What's fascinating about this device is that in the process of generating this hydrogen, the machine over time slowly starts to build up this kind of like sludge or gunk on the inside of the machine that every once in a while you you ought to clean out, and you know that doesn't affect the the quality of the water or the gas or breathing. It's just on the innards of the machine, but that sludge that is generated has the exact same chemical composition as the stainless steel plate that is used for the electrolysis process inside the machine. And the, uh, the guy who invented this, George is George Wiseman is his name. He has done a lot. He's like really looked into like, what, what is the sludge? Where is it coming from? And the first idea is that there must be some kind of, Physical degradation or breakdown of that stainless steel plate because that's where the same composition as what the sludge has in terms of its elements. But it, you know, he's weighed it, and he's he's run machines for very very long time, got a lot of sludge out of them, weighed the sludge, you know, and then weighed like disassembled the machine, weighed the stainless steel plate. The plate is exactly the same weight as when it started. It's not lost a single molecule theoretically. So whatever this m- sludgy muddy stuff is it's coming from it's coming from somewhere we don't understand <laughs> you know it's essentially appearing ex nihilo like out of nothing and why that's interesting in terms of the conversation we're having right now is that you know what is said about the sun is that it is a big hydrogen furnace that hydrogen is being like burned and generated in this fireball in the sky. (laughs) And the thing about like mainstream science is while most of the conclusions people uh, believe that come from mainstream science are, are false or some way uh, corrupted, not correct. There's usually some element of truth in the misunderstanding. So I don't know what the sun is. I think it's uh more local to our realm i don't think it's 93 million miles away i think that's very silly but uh if it is some kind of big hydrogen generating uh thing you know there could be there could be something similar that goes on with the earth and the sun periodically that maybe like a an electrolysis type a big electrolysis event so why I'm thinking this, I, I need to back up even more. All right. So if you look at the whole system of earth, sun, and moon as a type of battery or like an alchemical, an alchemical, uh, a giant alchemical device in a sense, you know, and if it's a creation, if there's a creator and all, everything in nature reflects the process of alchemy in some way, then it is, it's, it's a sound way to consider the realm to have an alchemical process going on about it. So to try to keep this simple and also not get above my depth in terms of (laughs) my ability to explain it, the sun and moon operate as like a cathode and anode in an electrical sense that is holding that is cycling the energy of our realm as if the realm itself is a big battery. Or big container or reservoir of energy, which it does seem to be, and so as the as the cathode degrades in a, in a battery over time, there's like a moment where there's like a, a switch that happens and that a recharging has to occur to reset the system. And in all the all the religious mythologies of the world, there's this talk of a great flood and. Not just that there was one flood, but if you actually go deeper in studying this, you find that actually there's said to be many floods and that they happen on a predictable cycle. And I wonder if that's true. I don't know. I don't know that it's true. But if that's true, what if the battery that is our realm has to go through a type of recharge through an electrolysis type process like, you know, (laughs) My my joke about it is like God plugging it in to charge it, you know, like charging his phone. <laughs> then maybe in that process, some type of, you know, similar to this Aquacure sludge is created and that sludge is ground. It's new land. And if you just all of a sudden put in a big ton of new mud and and sludge and and ground and land into the world, then it would make sense that that would actually offset seas and oceans and lakes and things. And, and maybe even uh, maybe even water is generated in part of that process and not just pure sludge, you know, maybe there's an electricity reason that we can understand the mechanics that possibly create a, a flood of sorts. And what makes it a reset is that when it's all over the battery, that is the world is fully charged again. And, you know, maybe life forms get bigger, the way that if you had more nutrition, more hydrogen in the system, you know, our bodies would be bigger, plants and animals would be bigger. And then as the battery degrades or wanes, maybe life gets smaller, and things start to go extinct. There's so many more elements to this, like the fact that soil can hold the record of information, of genetic information for life forms that don't even exist As living beings anymore and that you know there are when the conditions are correct for a certain organism even if it's extinct they sometimes will just pop it they will just come back into existence in a way that we don't understand and the the simplest way to see this for yourself is with compost and how compost even if it's like sterilized that if in a a self-contained container that compost as it Degrades will or as it decomposes, thermophilic bacteria, heat-loving bacteria, will appear in the compost that were not there before. As if they're just spontaneously generating out of nothing. And so <laughs> I know I've been all over the place with this particular weave, but there's there's so there's so much more mystery to the realm and so much more possibility that even Even all the environmental crisis fear that is pushed out, which is mostly bullshit, except for the ways that we're poisoning ourselves and poisoning our environments, that is real. But like nothing, there is no end to the line. We're we're in an eternal, self-regenerating construct of some kind, and so you know we might hurt ourselves in this present moment, but nature always balances the scales. God always self-corrects the system, and so. We shouldn't be beating ourselves up for hurting hurting the environment. We should just stop doing things that hurt ourselves, and that will also equal stop stopping the things that are hurting the environment. But especially not be afraid of the doomsday that is constantly predicted and never comes over and over and over again, whether coming from scientists or the religious type.
2: Yeah, I like the way where you said it was like God's plugging in a charge. Uh, Charger every time, and then the flood's going to come in and wash everything away, recharge, and then nature gets to go again.
1: Well, that could be why all this stuff gets underground. You know, like the the idea of a a mud flood could come from some big electrolysis event, reset event, maybe.
2: Do you, this is kind of out there, this question, but do you believe, uh, or do, do you have any theories around if, God is plugging in the charger to reset everything again. Do you feel like there's a goal in mind why he or she or they are plugging in each time to say, get to the goal? And I guess like our civilization in comparison to the ancients that we, that we know of and speak of, of today, we're a little bit closer than we are. So when we get our reset, we'll get to go again and hopefully the next ones don't take our path and they go more of a path of the ancients do you think there's a goal in mind each time it resets
1: uh that's another one above my pay grade right but (laughs) what it does help in terms of coming to a philosophy that has a resonance with truth or like that feels like it has the ring of truth means that you want to be able to find examples In the natural world that you can see and point to that reflect whatever, whatever it is that your theory is. And that's what gives a theory any kind of credibility. So the idea of the yugas or the world ages, the golden, silver, bronze, iron, and then reset, right? There is a resonance to that in the cycle of day to night and summer to winter and back again. And it's like a fractality where the same processes, there's only one process that nature do- operates in, and it's what you could call the alchemical process. And it's just a matter of dimensions of scale or time, scope of time, the smaller cycle embedded in a medium cycle, embedded in a large cycle, embedded in an epic cycle. So the why, <laughs> the why to me, if, if, you know, if it was up to me to answer that question, I think it's because, without you know, because existence is all that exists, <laughs> and if I, you know, if you ask me what the meaning of life is, it's life. Life is the meaning of life, and why this destruction and regeneration cycle occurs to me seems like it's a way to ensure that life goes on, because if there wasn't a a mass die off of vegetation at with winter there wouldn't be any room for new life to emerge and if for example in in a human life if we if we are, if we never died then there would be a point where we've experienced everything to experience basically you know there would be a, a boredom or there'd be a nihilism pointlessness to life i think that the you know on the simplest level the best answer i could give about the purpose of the reset and the destruction and regeneration cycle is to allow the the wheel to keep turning allow this playground of spirits to continue to exist so that you know souls have a place to experience existence rather than just being in an abstract realm of pure menta- mentality
2: yeah and since you've got fascination also with ancient civilizations, here's a question which I'm asking more and more people. Um still yet to get um, too far on it. But what are your thoughts on Antarctica? Uh
1: I've never been. <laughs> but the uh like the accounts of The seafaring peoples of longer ago, before more modern times, the first people to try to circumnavigate the world, for example, Antarctica is described not as a continent at the South Pole, but it's actually potentially a elevation shift, like a wall that keeps the oceans in in place. Like, you've heard of the ice wall, right? yeah so i I think that that's what Antarctica is. It's a giant wall of of ice that encircles the part of the world that or the, you know the part of the world that we know about and exist in. But I don't know that. I've never gone on a boat and gone to Antarctica or tried to sail around it. But when people try to sail around it, they find that the accounts are that they it's a much, much longer journey than what the map would make you think when you look at the Mercator projection. So I don't know, you know, it, it could be, there, <laughs> it's all speculation for me. So I don't know what Antarctic is. I think it's interesting that so many like so, elites, if you will go to Antarctica at, at bizarre times, there could be something to that. There are stories like Admiral Byrd's um, account of, going past Antarctica or the ice wall and that there's a civilization further out there. Um, one interesting way that I've uh, heard people theorize about what the realm is, is that the sun and moon are, that all, the other planets that we can see are actually a sun and moon as well. And that beyond Antarctica is a a wider, further out world for lack of a better word that it you know that is bounded between our realm and it with uh, Antarctica but that that realm further the next ring out has Mars and Venus as its sun and moon and that it's a, a bigger realm it's farther from the center so maybe things are um, more brutal or like Lower consciousness there, maybe, I don't know. Um, And then beyond that, potentially is another ring, another ring of land with uh, Jupiter and Saturn as a sun and moon. And so if, if any of that was true, I don't know. But if any of that was true, it would mean that the North Pole is actually its own ring that's an inner ring inside of our ring and potentially that north like the the north pole that realm cuz you're not allowed to go there at all <laughs> they all the all the major powers in the world have a treaty that it, it agrees to keep everybody out of the north pole why is that i don't know it's it's suspicious uh, there's a huge amount of control around antarctica and around the north pole and i think if if all the other conjectures i was making about the earth growing and the whole like electrolysis land expanding event is true. Wouldn't it be interesting if when that cycle occurs, whatever is in the middle, like our current North Pole, what if it's where the growth happens, where everything grows at once, and that that middle section expands out and becomes a ring land like our current world, and what the world we're in right now expands out and becomes the next ring out and new land comes in and becomes the new North and say, Mercury uh, the current planet. Mercury is the sun and moon It's just a constant light source for the, the center. Like when you're in the middle, when you're in the center, there's not night or day it's eternally morning or eternally dusk, depending on how you look at it, optimist or pessimist. (laughs) And that maybe, you know, maybe part of that, whatever that event is that that reset event or that expansion event causes the luminary that's in the middle to split into two and become a sun and moon duality system. All that is totally just huge hypotheticals. But if I was going to pick a a theory about the world, that's my favorite one. I think that's the most interesting one. And there's something something about it that just feels right or feels feels good to me but i I, honestly i'm not claiming that i know but that that's a fun one
2: yeah obviously um well i don't think anyone knows but yeah what you were explaining it's the first time i've heard um that theory so that actually did feel good and it did it does feel more realistic than maybe 75 percent of the other theories that are out there (laughs) um but yeah Um, yeah. Or or another way that I look at it is as the North pole sort of shrinks. A new one comes out and pushes us and we're like a ring and we push out further, but that's sort of what was going on in my mind.
1: Yeah. Uh, That's what I'm trying to describe. Oh, as a ring
2: and then it just flows out further. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, I was on track. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, It's
0: something that you can wrap your head around. You know? Us, I love speculating about Antarctica because you can sort of just let your imagination go and try and figure out what is actually there. That's what, like, because it's so unknown, we don't know what's behind it. If there is anything behind it, like, what are there any beings behind it? Are there any other civilizations? So I think it's a really good, good thing. But to- if
1: there were those other rings of you know other worlds what if the next ring out outside of ours is what they're talking about when they say we're going to go to mars <laughs> you know cuz that would be the the land where mars was the sun and venus was the moon
0: what these, these beings that or these ufo's that are coming over are coming from the the further rings out just over the yeah
1: world? extraterrestrial extraterra extra land it's in the word. And, you know, you know, Venus actually does a phasing cycle like the moon does. We can't tell with our eyes, but with the telescope, you can. That Venus actually does like a crescent, a half and, a you know, partially full cycle, just like our moon. So, like, why would that be? <laughs> it's worth considering as part of the possibilities.
2: This has literally just opened my mind up to a completely different theory I was never, never even thinking about. <laughs> um, I guess that's the beauty of, uh, well, being creative with our minds. If you want to join it back up to what we were talking about earlier,
1: yeah, man. And it's it's fun. It's fun, you know, being in the place where you don't know and you can use your imagination is a lot more fun than being on a tiny speck of rock flying through an infinite emptiness with no meaning.
2: Mm.
1: <laughs> That's one of my favorite things about changing your your cosmology. And the ancients all had cosmologies more aligned with the kind I've been talking about. But ultimately, when you look at the place as a creation and when you look at the the order and the pattern of it, you know, like, for example, if if we were there's so many so many reasons not to believe in the whole like globe nasa outer space model right tons and tons so i can just pick and choose a few that i like but first of all when you study astrotheology and the constellations you have to start asking the question well how come the records of these constellations from thousands of years ago everything is still exactly where it was if all of those stars were suns and they were Moving about at different speeds, and we're moving through the solar or the the galaxy at whatever bazillion miles an hour. How come everything, all the constellations, are exactly the same in our night nice sky? <laughs> like, that should be a game over. Just that question alone should end end the end the entire model that is pervaded by mainstream physics and science. That's enough. Uh, and and I I love that whenever you get off of the whole. globe model it also really invigorates the idea of astrology you know and there's a lot of people that are into astrology or even astrologers that do believe the nasa cosmology and that's fine that like i don't we don't need to fight over cosmologies although i've noticed that the ballers do get more defensive and feisty (laughs) like to fight for it which is typical of things that tickle your cognitive dissonance dissonance but uh you know if if we're just one planet amongst infinite planets and infinite stars that are suns with planets around them it really makes you it really devalues the idea of astrology in my opinion because it's like so does every planet have astrology based on the way the constellations show up for them or you know like all of that question it just sort of i don't know it just makes it all feel weaker but the truth is, when you study astrology, that there's definitely something to it, like majorly something to it. <laughs> it's it's a thing. <laughs> you know, how well we understand it and, and are describing it is that varies. And I think there's always more to learn about it. But it's factually true that people's chart describes their life and their personality. And it doesn't take much investigating to see that that is the case. It's one of my favorite subjects on on my show is uh, looking at things through the lens of astrology. It's a, a way. It's a, a way of. It's a way of bringing a mystic perspective to whatever it is you're talking about, and digging in to find hidden gems of information about whatever the subject
2: is. Yeah, there was um, a vi- a video I was watching on. I think it was on flat Earth theory and basically uh, it's not really about flat earth what i'm about to say but the way he explained um, science and the way science has science works in modern day and it also drips into our educational system because both systems sort of uh are together I, I guess in a sense but what will happen is if you look at it like a brick wall and years and years ago the first sort of scientists who put forward their scientific sort of, uh, findings is like the foundational block. Then what will happen to the next generation, the foundational block, block of bricks. Then what will happen to the next generation of scientists is they'll only go off that foundational block of bricks and then build on top. So at the moment we've built all this way up, but it's only going off what other people have discovered or discovered, but there's no, there's no one else building new sort of blocks anywhere. Uh, In in this field, anyway, I know in other fields, there's new discoveries happening all the time. But that's sort of our problem in the whole system is that we're building these blocks off other people's findings, but we're not wanting to question their findings because scientists don't want to discredit any other scientists, which is a really sort of negative way of working because what's wrong with being wrong, right?
1: Yeah, that's what science is supposed to do is challenge the established idea by bringing evidence that disputes it. And that's back to the thing I said, certainty brings ruin, is that the at this point, the whole scientific establishment is a pile of smoking rubble, totally ruined, <laughs> because it's built off of these flawed axioms and theories that are assumed and taken as certainty when they they never were. Like, you know, when something is a, a scientific theory and never can be established as a provable law, the longer that it stays in the realm of theory, the more likely that it is rotting and false. And, you yeah, know, that applies to so much. Like, look at the whole allopathic medicine system that is causing so much havoc in the world. A lot of it, especially in terms of the, the cooties experience the world went through is built on the germ theory foundation. And, you know, I think that there's some, there's some gravel in the whole, like, dichotomy between germ theory, terrain theory, in the sense that that division or the, the, like, those two polarities are, like, the truth may be somewhere closer in the middle than the extremes, but... The way that germ theory and viral theory is described and, and you know, believed in by the scientific establishment that is just riddled with holes and has been from the beginning, but they built on that foundation. And now we've got really shaky medicine and then there's a lot of possibilities to open up to like, what about the energetic transmission of symptoms in terms of like, Mirroring a mirroring effect that our consciousness does with people around us, like the in terms of why you know, because the the big thing that people will throw at terrain theory as a reason to poo poo it is like, Well, I was around family members who were sick, and then I got the same thing they did. And <laughs> the problem with that is, while you're exper- I'm not disputing that experience, I think we've all had that experience, the explanation given that it's an invisible little demon ninja called a germ or a virus that has jumped from one person to the next. The experience does not prove that theory <laughs> there, are, you know, use your imagination. There's, po- there's other possibilities as to why that would happen. And it's that's, you know, that's as far as I want to go on that subject, but like, it is not an, it's a, it's more of a victim mentality to think that there's, invisible little demon ninja germ viruses waiting to jump you at any time and and mess you up (laughs) that's definitely like uh looking at the world in a very negative dark lens and i think that the the main thing missing from from mainstream medicine and health is the consciousness component because you know one thing about germ theory that is Some is has some accuracy to it is that on the bacterial side, there are bacteria that can have a pathogenic behavior in the sense that if you're exposed to like certain bacteria or fungi or mold, it can have a deleterious effect on your health. That's true, but there's a consciousness factor that is totally left at the door and like pleomorphism in bacteria is an established fact, improvable observable scientific sense, but it is pretty much ignored by mainstream, you know, the best you'll get is a a suggestion to take probiotics. But I have personally witnessed clients of mine who we resolved consciousness related issues, undigested feelings of frustration or guilt, or just general dissatisfaction about life that is held on to that by the resolution of that, it actually caused their digestion, their gut biome to change expressions. That <laughs> just by solving your emotional or belief system in, in, uh problems, that your internal world, your biome, uh, like the bacteria colonies inside you, actually change form and become something more helpful to you. So it's like that's that's experiential for me and for people that have worked with me that have had those type of problems it is not and and there was no medicine taken there was no probiotics taken there were no antibiotics taken the only thing that changed was the epiphany that they had and the release of beliefs and emotions that were stuck or causing them to be stuck and then the whole internal terrain changed like that so if that's possible then a lot is possible in terms of you know why illnesses seem to jump from a person to a person Aside from the idea of a physical vector of transmission,
0: that's that's very interesting because, yeah, like modern science will. If somebody's having gut issues or and feeling depressed, like you've seen a lot of stuff now, I've seen a lot of articles about how your gut biome can affect how you're feeling and how you're coping mentally. A doctor would look straight at the gut biome as the source, whereas you're looking at the belief as a source and fixing the gut biome through that.
1: Sorry, I was getting a phone call. I needed to let okay. them know. I'll call them back. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> Usually Did I have it silenced, but I have somebody coming over later.
0: That's fine. Did you catch what I said?
1: Um, I'm so sorry. Can you repeat that? Okay. Yeah. Um, that's
0: really unprofessional of me. My bad guys. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Don't worry. Um, was it? Oh, yeah. So I said in modern science and modern medicine, if some I've been seeing a lot of articles about how your gut biome can affect you mentally and affect um, how you're feeling. People are feeling depressed, they're saying it's because the gut biome's are out of balance or they've got the wrong bacteria in the gut biome. Where modern science will focus on the gut biome as the problem, you're focusing on, you no, know, the problem's their beliefs, and that's fixing the gut biome in response to that.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, it's not the only way, though. I think the reason why we have a mind, body, soul, or mind, body, spirit is because if we get stuck on one of those levels, we can progress on another level and it will get us unstuck on the one we were struggling with. So you can also do, you know, fermented foods help like healthy fermented foods can improve the gut biome too. And in doing so, it will help the person digest the the emotions that are the issue at that level. So you can, you can approach it from either side. I won't like claim superiority of one side to the other, but it is easier. <laughs> it is easiest to sort often to sort things out from the mental level first, you know, and if you haven't made that approach, you may save yourself a lot of trouble by working from that level, I'm not saying don't eat the fermented foods, you know, ideally you take a what a holistic approach is, is that you're doing all the best practices on all three levels at once but yeah the the gut biome does seem to have an effect on people's um you know their thinking their mentality their cravings all of that there's definitely something to it that's why it's fascinating to go back to like maybe the ancients were were right about more than they get credit for <laughs> they people used to believe that illnesses were caused by uh you know evil spirits demonic entities that sort of thing and whenever you think about how these these little microscopic to us invisible colonies of bacteria in our our digestive tract can actually affect our behavior i mean how is that different than the idea of an invisible demonic possession affecting your behavior <laughs> you know it's functionally the same so that's interesting and how spiritual practices fasting prayer things like that can were used back then to try to fix the problem. It's not that different than techniques that I'm talking about to fix the problem that are consciousness-based. It is very similar. So uh, at the end of the day, we're all using a flawed modality called language to describe the world around us. And so we got to cut each other some slack for our misunderstandings and just align with the people that we know have the same intention with us, which we can tell by the energy that they carry, by the vibe, how we feel around them, what our conscience tells us about them. And then, other than that, let's uh, let's be forgiving of each other for the ways that we maybe misunderstand or don't perfectly describe what we mean or understand what they meant, and just go forward with the the people that in our community that we can trust in a, you know high trust communities that they have our back, even if we don't see things the same way or describe things the same way.
0: I think that's a great way to uh, wrap it up. Yeah, chance.
1: I had fun, guys. This, this was is great. Amazing.
2: This is it's de- really good. you. It's been a uh, mind blowing and just pulling me down this sense of positivity that you just sort of illuminate the whole uh, discussion with. So thank you.
1: Thanks, man. I, uh, I That's how I like to do it. I Honestly, I think that that's what attracts people to my podcast interverse more than the information is the vibe that we, I do my best to maintain this type of feeling through every episode for as much of the episode as possible. Because that's what really pulls people out of the, the muck is being able to imagine something better. And that requires like a positive energy, health, healthy, positive energy. So people can find that at interversepodcast.com. I'm on all of the audio RSS feed podcast players out there, iTunes, Spotify, the whole nine. And uh, I do a lot of video content for my shows. So if people are into that, YouTube is a good bet. I'm still allowed on there. <laughs> good at co- using code words. And I also have a Rockfin channel, which is a lot better overall. And supports the creators that are on there. So I love it if people access the content through there. I got two shows a week, typically on Wednesday and Sunday. So they either are live or there's a premiere, which means if you catch that at 7pm Central Time, US Central on Wednesday or Sunday, you'll be able to jump into the live chat. And there's a awesome receptive community waiting for you there to talk about these ideas or your own ideas in relation to whatever we're covering on the show. And our Telegram community is also vibrant, happen in place, join the Interverse podcast Telegram chat and use that as an alternative to Google searching things that are just going to give you corporate advertisements or poisonous answers. Take advantage of that resource. That community is great. I curate it very, very carefully like a gardener ready to weed out anybody with uh, a vibe that I don't like and ban them for life instantly. (laughs) So, you know, I'm really quick to do that, which means that uh, I rarely have to do it. And the, you know, the, it's a very consistent experience with the interverse community of the audience in the ways that you can interact with them, which I think is important, you know, to go beyond just having these types of talks that are in, in entertaining information, but for you to have somewhere to land, uh, after the podcast and people to connect with, that matters a lot. So I do want to see new people join our telegram chat. And also if people are curious about what I've been describing with biofield tuning or the biofield anatomy, they want to learn more about how that works, how they might start to train themselves to do the same thing, to detect stuck energy with tuning forks and return it back into circulation for their physical body to improve their health. That is on my website, interversepodcast.com slash sound dash healing. So people can see videos where I talk about it in depth in a more presentation style format. And they can figure out how to from that page to connect with me directly to get a session going and find out what they can what they can do with that tool and that modality in a one-on-one with me. And it's it's awesome. I definitely hope to see some uh, some new people come get tuned up from this conversation because, you know, we touched on it a lot, but in terms of how how amazing that modality is, it's, it's, it's a two-hour conversation in and of itself.
2: Yeah. So yeah, everything you've just listed there, I will leave it in the description of all of the uh, media channels, so check out the description if you want to uh, access any of that. But Chance, thank you so much for coming on. This has been amazing. And
1: honestly so 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 good thanks cam thanks aaron i had a great time appreciate the invite always love getting to do a chat like this you know if you check out more of my stuff down the line and there's a subject that i'm covering that you want to bring to your show just let me know and i can we can do it yeah sweet cheers chums thank you